Every play, every musical, begins with some writer putting words on a page. Hello, and welcome to Stagecraft, the Broadway radio podcast that talks to playwrights and musical book writers about the shows they've created. My name is Jan Simpson, and joining me for this episode is Stephen Dietz, whose 1992 play, Lonely Planet, just opened in a revival production by The Keen Company that stars Arnie Burton and Matt McGrath and that is running in the Clermont Theatre at Theatre Row through November 18th. Hello, Stephen Dietz. Well, hello. Thanks for talking with me. Well, we're glad that um, you found the time to talk with us. We usually start off these conversations by talking uh, a little about what the show is about. So could you tell listeners what The Lonely Planet is about? Yes, I'd be happy to. The Lonely Planet in general is a play about fear and friendship in the age of AIDS. It's about two um, middle-aged men who are who are dear friends. One man, Jody, runs a small map store, and he seems inclined to never want to leave that store. His other friend, Carl, is a bit more mercurial. Carl kind of shows up repeatedly like a bad penny. And during the course of Lonely Planet, he starts bringing chairs, of first just a chair or two, and then large groups of chairs into Jody's map store. And the, the story of the play is, is twofold. Essentially, we come to learn what those chairs represent and where Carl has gotten them. And secondly, we learn that there are reasons that Jody does need to leave that map store. And Carl, as his friend, is attempting to compel him to do so. This is a a, a revival of a play that was done about 20 years ago, yeah? Yeah, the play was written in 92, uh, premiered in Chicago, and then it was done immediately thereafter in Seattle, um, performed by the two Seattle actors who I wrote the roles for originally. And then I was delighted. It came to New York in 1994. Uh, Dennis O'Hare and Mark Shannon did it, directed by Lenny Folia. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, what would that be, 24, 23 years since it's been in New York, 25 years since it was written. Uh, you know, it's had a, a, a nice number of regional and stock and university productions over the years. But to have it come back to New York... Um, is a big deal for me, and uh, it's, it's certainly being done beautifully. Would you tell us a little about the genesis of the play? Um, this was sort of uh, in the middle, maybe towards a little towards the end of the height of the AIDS crisis. Was there a particular incident that sparked your wanting to write about AIDS? Well, I, was, I would like so many of us, especially in our field, I was losing friends. Um, I was watching careers end and lives end and uh, families and relationships torn asunder. I did have a a particular friend that I had gone to college with who was one of the first people close to me who had had passed away, um, taken by this uh, terrible disease. So in in some ways in 92, though though perhaps medically the the height of the epidemic was somewhere before then, the fallout from this... um, was still profound in 92 and obviously is still profound to this day. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, sometimes I think there's a, there's an, in my work at least, there's an emotional engine that drives the play and then there's a a practical engine that, that, that drives the play. The emotional engine I've just discussed, which was how do I begin to tell a story or write a play or do something that, that can address this, these emotions I was having. The practical side 
which somehow conjoined itself to that was that I had never written a two-character play. I'd been completely uh, terrified <laughs> <laughs> to write it. To write a two-character play, I think it's one of the, aside from a comedy or a thriller, it's the, to me it's the absolute it's the gold standard. Uh, and so to hedge my bets, I thought I'd write a play for these two Seattle actors I knew, Michael Winters and, and, and Larry Ballard, who were probably the two most foremost Seattle uh, regional theater actors. And I thought, well, all I know is that if I write a two-character play and they're in it, no matter what line <laughs> I write, at least one at least one of them is going to say that line. Um, to my delight, I, I, my practical mind and my emotional heart sort of came together. And I, the, the, unlike goodness, the other thirty-plus plays of mine, *Lonely Planet* was written very quickly, and it was and it was hardly revised, which I tell you is a complete outlier in terms of my, my other plays. <laughs> um, did the idea for for setting it uh, in a map shop? these two friends, did that come to you uh, instantly? I, I, I instinctually, perhaps, there's some quiet part of me that knew that the, that, um, that the, the comfort of maps and, the, and, and Jody's ability to believe that he lives in the world because he is surrounded by these images of the world, that um, a map presents, I think, uh, and again, I, I, to be clear, I, I didn't know any of this <laughs> at the time. But now, in retrospect, I realize that some instinct in me must have understood the map represents a fullness. It gives the illusion of a of a of a fullness. This is the and even with the distortions that are required for every map, which the play talks about, the notion of a fullness. This is what the earth looks like. This is what this country looks like. The juxtaposition of that with the chairs, which, to my mind, nothing conveys absence like a chair. Yes. Um, an empty chair conveys just a a, a, a profound absence and the juxtaposition of those uh, I, I think instinctually I'd love to take credit that I had some plan but I think instinctually that must have felt right to me I was a great I was a great lover I'm not certainly no expert but I remember the, my the, the ex-girlfriend who I was a wonderful woman who I was living with at the time I just kept filling my little rental house with maps uh, and, and she was getting really really tired of it um, but she was the one that bought me the, the, the something that's mentioned in the play, the Peter's projection, which is an equal area map, which looks completely different than the typical uh, map that was in front of our, our grade school classrooms. And the juxtaposition between what we think the world looks like and what, in the case of this different projection, this Peter's projection map, what the world perhaps may actually look like, mm -hmm. again, that, that gulf seemed um, uh, worthy of uh, pursuit and uh, I think informed the play. I, well, I know informed the play greatly. The word AIDS is never mentioned in the play. Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's correct. Um, was that intentional? Was that important to you that you well, not name it? Sure. It, you know, I couple couple thoughts on that. Lonely Planet followed um, by only a few years. Some, some major plays that, that, that you know and that we know and that attacked mm -hmm. the, the AIDS crisis head on, the normal heart being, the, I think, the, the foremost one among them, but plays like As Is, and then obviously mm -hmm. um, Angels and, and mm -hmm. Rent and other plays like that that, that, um, that were um, fantastic and unforgettable, explicit uh, engagement with, with that word, with the, with the Reagan-era right. policies, et cetera. I was attempting to write a play about friendship, and, and mm -hmm. with the fact that AIDS became the, uh, uh, the it's obviously the driving force of, of much of the story, but um, 
my instinct, I believe, and then it became a conscious instinct to to take the to take that word out. Is I, I felt like at the time the play was written, it was a word that um, since that, since many necessary plays had been written explicitly using that word, I was also finding that the word ended conversations. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you can you can end a conversation when you say abortion, when you say death penalty, when you say Trump, for goodness' sake. Um, um, I didn't want the conversation to end, and I didn't want I didn't want an audience to say, "Oh, I know where I stand on the issue of AIDS." In fact, to me, I think more insidiously, the play asks um, uh, the question, "Where do you stand on friendship?" Mm-hmm. And I think that that um, it has been my experience, um, audiences that um, you know, the play's been done in a lot of regional theaters where I've got letters from people saying these are the first time these are the first gay characters we ever saw on stage. Wow. Um, now that's that's a you know perhaps in smaller towns here there and yon. Mm-hmm. If the play had been sold to them as an AIDS play, I don't think they maybe want to engage with the play. But when they watch the friendship and Jody and Carl are buddies and they laugh a lot, the and this is too long an answer. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. but the, the 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 issue of the play, I think, sneaks up on people. I would hope it could sneak up on people because um, that's the way the disease itself manifests often mm-hmm. it's, it's like this is not in my world oh wait my neighbor's son oh wait i knew him when he was little and this disease has snuck up on us in some ways um perhaps uh, the word aids in lonely planet can sneak up on us in the same way how did this keen company revival come about oh gosh just good luck on my part i think you know that's probably might be a better question for jonathan silverstein he he, he apparently knew the play i i've not had any previous dealings. I knew and admired the Keen Company. Um, I don't get to see a lot of their work. I don't, I've never lived in New York, but um, I got a, essentially a call out of the blue from my agent put me in touch with Jonathan. Jonathan, and, um, who is both the artistic director of the Keen and the director of this production, yes? Yes, mm-hmm. correct. Uh, correct, both of those things. And he called me and said, I've always admired this play. I've looked, I've looked for a season or a moment to do it, and um, we would like to include it on our season. He was mindful of the uh, 25th or so anniversary of the mm-hmm. play. I believe he had actually seen the play when it had been previously in New York. And so it was it was a delightful surprise for me that, that this play um, found its way back onto, well, found its way onto his radar and that he, he came forward to it. It's, it's, it's you know, I, I've been at this a, a long time, but I still, I still, go about my days like I'm this eager young writer. It's wild to me to think that I wrote some play 25 years ago. Um, and it's it's doubly exciting, the fact that it, it was a story that he felt um, still needed to be told. As I understand it, this is, though, one of your, your most uh, produced plays. Uh, do you think yes. it is because of that? Well, perhaps because it's two characters, or perhaps because of the uh, friendship focus, or, or, or what do you think well, what a good question. I, I mean, you know, it, it, I, I want to half-jokingly say if I knew that, I'd write three more of these. <laughs> uh, I, I do believe that there is a, um, the, the play is a, the play is frankly, the play is a, a comedy until it's not. I think that mm-hmm. is important to note. Mm-hmm. Yes, of course, it, it's, it's size that benefits it somewhat, but I, I don't think that uh, there are, Though it is against the backdrop of a of a of a dangerous and important issue, I, I I suspect that when people do the play, what they reach back to me, that what they come back to me about and thank me for is to have written a play about friendship. Yeah. Um, and and um, I have two plays about male friendship, and they're both 
very important to me, Lonely Planet, and a play of mine called Last of the Boys that premiered at the McCarter was done at Steppenwolf. And that's sort of a Vietnam vet, uh, years later, play a couple buddies. These these plays about friendship um, uh, seem to seem to stick with people. And um, finally, I would also say that um, if you know Lonely Planet, Lonely Planet is also a rather elliptical play, meaning there's a narrative, there's a story, there's humor, there's characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it is um, it's a it's a play that sort of comes after you quietly. And I it's been my experience with the play that. People who respond to it, 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 it uh, wherever it sticks in them, it sticks somewhere deeply and quietly. It's sometimes it's hard. It's, it's been hard for people to explain to me. Well, I really love this play, and I said, "Well, thank you." And they say, "I don't really know why, but there's, there's a line that stayed with me. Or there's a there's a moment that stayed with me." Um, I'll, I'll tell you one of the things that that, that I liked. Uh, uh, particularly is that um, you have a wonderful cast. You have two of um, the city's best comic actors, Arnie Burton and Matt McGrath, and certainly they bring all their comedic skills to this, but it also allows them to dig into their dramatic skills, and that was wonderful to be able to see. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, yeah, they're particularly adept at that. I think they're both wonderful, and you know, humor is the you know humor is that is the is the fine line between joy and sadness, and so they're they're mm-hmm. they're able to walk that line really, really beautifully, and and um, uh, and it's a bold. I mean, it's it's a it's a bold approach to the play, which Jonathan has found, and which those actors have found, and and uh, um, I hadn't seen the play in in oh goodness probably eight or ten years. There's a handful of productions coming up, which may be because of the anniversary. Mm-hmm. But I've been away from the play for quite a while, and it was it was thrilling and surprising to, to, to reacquaint myself with it, and especially under the guise of this very good production. Mm-hmm. There, I don't want to give too much away, but there is great use of a Bob Dylan song. Um, <laughs> In the in the play, and I I understand that's part of the text. It's not just something that Jonathan yeah. uh, uh, brought to it. Um, should we name it or should we not? <laughs> oh, we should. Oh, we should name it. It's no secret. Bob Dylan songs are no secret to us. It's "I Shall Be Released." It's the it's the Joe Cocker version of "I Shall Be Released." There's a lot of, a lot of great versions of "I Shall Be Released," and yeah, you you you, you can't actually uh, you can only suggest. Uh, Frankly, um, as a playwright, the music that's used in your play, if, if you read the script of Lonely Planet, you would see that the, the, the playwright strongly suggests <laughs> using using that play. And, you know, it's that's the, 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 I'm a great, I'm a great Dylan fan and, it, and very envious because it does seem like he can in three and a half minutes do something that I'm trying to do in 90 minutes of a play. But um, it, it. Uh, again, I think that it, they make great use of it in this production, and, and that it's 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 my attempt to it sort of it sort of puts that it, a, a song that is is hardwired to an emotional moment in a play sort of puts it in puts that moment into another gear into a higher gear, and and um, uh, and I think hands it it would be my hope hands it over to an audience. They may not know someone exactly like Jody or Carl, but they've heard that mm. song. They've been driving late at night and heard that song, and whoever that song, if they respond to it, makes them think about, um, that's the play doing its work, to, to mm-hmm. stick with people um, not in the theater. It's, it's actually not terribly... The, the, the goal is not to have the play stick with people while they're in the theater. The goal is 
Um, the goal is my wife and I, who's also a playwright, say that the goal is that the play makes it to the popcorn. I mean, <laughs> we, we, get, we, we get home from the play, and I open a beer, and we make some popcorn, and we sit in our kitchen, and if we're still talking about the play when we get home, then uh, play, whoever's, whoever's play that was, we did something. There's another allusion um, in, in in your play to another play, um, Eugene Ionesco's The Chairs. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually a shout-out to uh, that yeah. play. Um, I think Jody's reading it or, or, yeah. or something like that in the play. Um, yeah. Is Ionesco a, a favorite writer of yours, or was it more because both you and he were playing with chairs in in the, oh, th- these plays. Yeah, I mean it's a straight it's a straight homage and frankly a straight lift. I mean, feel from the best to have this room fill up with chairs. I I had read the chairs years ago. I think at some point I I, I you know I started my career as a director. I think for a while I was I was determined to get to direct that play somewhere. I've never I still never directed the chairs anywhere, but. Um, that that image, um, which uh, uh, Ionesco is using for different political purposes, that image just seemed, as I said earlier, so right and so and so apt that I just uh, uh, incorporated it into the storytelling. And two two things about that: one is that then then when I had done it, I realized, well, let's not be coy about this. Let's just shamelessly um, have Jody read the book. Let's name it. Um, there's even a, a quote that um, that, uh, that uh, Carl says from the play, "We shall leave some traces, for we are people and not cities." That's just a perfect line, and it, it's it's a it's a signature line in the in Ionesco's play, and it becomes a signature line, I think, in my play. Secondly, going back to the creation of it, I I in the very first draft, as I noted, written very quickly, I was having Carl bring chairs into the shop, and I was having these men talk about gossip and talk about all sorts of things under the sun. Um, I didn't know um, until the moment that Carl tells Jody in the play, I didn't know what the chairs meant. Huh. I, was just having, I was just having him bring chairs in because it was sort of funny and also I know myself as a writer, I'm trying to put something in my play that I do not understand because that will get me to my desk the next day. Um, and um, I kept bringing in chairs and bringing in chairs and then the moment that that, that Carl said, do you recognize these chairs, Jody? That belonged to so-and-so, that belonged to so-and-so. I, I remember where I was sitting in my little rental house in Seattle, and I just remember the goosebumps on my arms. And so the place snuck up on me, too, that way. But it, the delivery system of that, frankly, was the chairs. That's lovely. Um, because I think it does work in exactly the way you describe it, where it is very funny, and then you begin to have this feeling these chairs mean something more and then you realize that it these chairs are representing the loss mm. of, of 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 people um yeah, yeah, yeah. it's really really lovely yeah. i want I, I i wanted to um talk to you just a little bit about the fact that uh your plays are done a lot in 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 the regional theaters i think you're probably one of the most produced playwrights um, in in the country. And I was wondering, do you think there's a difference between uh, plays that work well in the regions and plays that work well in New York? No, I guess I don't. Not at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it, you're, you're, I appreciate the question, and it's a question I should be able to answer very well, because <laughs> it's, it's been a question in my 
in my life and career for for 30 plus years. Um, you know, I've been told by some artistic directors that I won't name and New York artistic directors that um, the very fact that my plays are, uh, you know, I make I make my living writing plays and, and the very fact that I make my living having plays done in regional theater is a proof that they're not good enough for New York. It, it, it you know, it's, it's ridiculous to hear something like that, but it's, it's also I'm 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 stubborn and I don't know any better, so I've kept doing my work. I think there's a, I think there's a, uh, I mean, and I I adore. I mean, I, please, I hope that your your listeners hear this. I I adore the few times I've had plays um, in New York. I, there's no, I can't think of any rubric in which the plays of mine that have been in New York are different than the plays of mine that are done in the regional theaters. Um, um, but they're they're you know I think there's a myopic quality to any city uh and i think you know uh there is there may very well be that with new york plays it doesn't it can't change how i write a play i watch you know i watch other writers try to chase what they believe the major new york theaters want um i'm i haven't i've chosen not to do that Mm -hmm. i haven't done that um but it's it's uh for the most part i have great champions in regional theaters. I have great champions in New York. They're, they have a very complicated job trying to fill um, at, at any of these theaters um, the very few slots they have with the, with, the, with the great number of new plays that are being written, not to mention some plays from 25 years ago that show up. But um, the, the artistic director directors, there's several of them that I quoted to you, um, I think those are, the, those, are, those are not the norm, but I think it, it speaks to a it speaks to a prejudice that um, if it's if it's um, uh, if it's in regular production outside New York, it, how good could it be if it hasn't been done in New York? I reject that thinking. It's it's nice to be later in my career where I I don't have to um, chase you know chase that thinking. Mm-hmm. So it 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 also might be said in a more um, direct way. It's likely that the reason I've made my living writing plays is that my plays haven't been done in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because I haven't, I haven't had to rely on, I haven't had to, or I haven't gotten to rely on one play of mine that's the definitive play that pays my bills. I have dear friends whose work is done in New York, but I know then that the pressure that's on them for that next play, um, I've I've been the you know the 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 tortoise and not the hare in this business and made a made a made a living and not made a killing. Um, and as much as I'm, you know, you know, writers are very good at envy, and I'm, am I envious of like people that have had other produ- New York productions that I haven't? Of course I am, in a, in a friendly way. But um, I've gotten to build a body of work, frankly, in a way that that probably is the fact that it's under the radar of New York is is probably let me explore more stories than I would have had to otherwise. Well, we're very glad that this one um, has made it uh, back. Uh, uh, to New York, and and how long is the run so that that listeners can have a chance to? Uh, oh take gosh, a look. I'm doing this. Thank you. I'm doing this from memory. I don't have the stuff in front of me. I believe it. Believe it's the third week of November. I have. I have oh, that's November great. Week. I have the third week of November in my mind, and I really hope. Um, the, if, you, if you know the Keen's work, I think you'll definitely go see this play. If you don't know the work of the Keen, and especially Jonathan and, and Matt and Arnie and all the design team, they, they're, they, they've just represented this play beautifully. And I, 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 I really would, uh, I would love people to go enjoy their work. And, it, and I hope you'll also enjoy um, this play of mine that has been very important to me over the years. <laughs> 
Well, well, thank you for uh, talking uh, about it with us, and we hope to see you uh, in New York again soon. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. And thank you for joining us. We hope you'll come back next time and that you'll listen to all the other Broadway Radio podcasts, which you can find on broadwayradio.com. <laughs>